Blog Talk Radio. This is BC Radio Live with Philip and Eric. Live online at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. Aloha! This is February 20, 2008, and this is BC Radio Live. In 1987, the Cowboy Junkies recorded the Trinity Session using the single microphone of the Church of the Holy Trinity. Now they've revisited the same church with a few more microphones and recorded the same song as Trinity Revisited. Tonight, we'll talk to Michael Simmons about the album and find out how the Cowboy Junkies have changed over the last 20 years. We'll also talk to Wayne Taylor of Bluegrass Supergroup Blue Highway about their new album, Through the Window of the Frame. We are having a few technical issues, so hopefully we can actually deliver on those promises. Now the chat room is open at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio, and the live video feed is now running. I am Philip Wynn, Chief Geek at BC Magazine, but unfortunately not Chief Geek at Blog Talk Radio. So I find myself alone on the air with uh, no audio samples and no way to bring anybody else on the line with me. We'll hang out for a couple minutes and talk a little bit while we see if we can piece together some phone lines or some technical help and get things going. And then if not, we'll have to reconnect next week. It is pretty much an all-country uh, all night tonight. If you find yourself not a fan of country music, though, stick around. If we can get to the music, I think you'll find yourself pleasantly surprised. Uh, Blue Highway is, is a bluegrass group in the best sense. Uh, bluegrass being, I think, one of the most uh, technically amazing parts of country music or of American music. I don't think anybody can fail to be impressed by the songwriting and technical guitar playing abilities of Wayne Taylor or the other members of Blue Highway. And Cowboy Junkies, of course, over the years, many years now, have attracted a lot of attention for their skilled songwriting and musicianship. So I think even non-country fans ought to find themselves quite pleased with that as well. Unfortunately, I'm still unable to get to the switchboard. I'm still unable to conference in anybody or bring anybody on the line. But I can tell you that we're having a, a wonderful time with Blog Talk Radio other than technical glitches like this. And uh, I do encourage everybody, while you're waiting for this or looking for something to do to check out blogcritics.org slash bcradio. We've actually got a pretty full schedule of shows and, and more are added, oh gosh, at least every month. I'm working on a couple more in the pipeline right now. Every Sunday night, we've got Glosslip Radio covering celebrity gossip and the occasional uh, issue with the Church of Scientology lately, drawn a little bit of attention with that. On Mondays and Fridays, we've got Treehouse Fort with Matt Sussman and Tuffy covering the week in sports. As part of our Blog Critics Radio Sports Network, we've actually also got shows on Tuesday, uh, Friday, and Saturday covering health, fitness, and sports. So we've got Monday at 8 Eastern, we've got Treehouse Fort. Tuesday at 8 Eastern, we've got Performance Enhancing Radio with Sal Marinello. Friday night at 8 Eastern, we've got Treehouse Ford again, and then followed at 9 o'clock by Frozen Chosen with Jeeves. And then Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, we have health and fitness advice from Sal Marinello, who is a certified physical trainer. But that's not all. On Tuesday, on Monday night, sorry, at 10 p.m., we have Geekarati Radio covering pretty much every topic under the sun from the perspective of hardcore geeks like me. On Tuesday nights at 9 p.m., we've got Irreconcilable Differences, which is a he-said-she-said look at horror films. Uh, quite a lot of fun. Uh, they cover horror films, and, and quite often Casey and Colleen Criswell will like some of the same films, and sometimes they don't agree, but even when they do agree, they seem to appreciate or not appreciate the films for completely different reasons. It's, uh, it's a fun show with a lot of uh, husband and wife banter. There's multiplayer chat at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. That is a video game show, gaming-related show, all things gaming, 
Uh, be sure to tune in for that one. I am told that last night's episode was particularly wonderful, but I've not had a chance to listen to it myself. And then on Tuesdays at 10.30 p.m., there's Screen Time with Josh and Aaron. They cover the week in television. It looks like I do have a couple of... Uh, uh, I have access to the switchboard now. And we should be joined by my co-host, the executive producer and creator of Blog Critics, BC Magazine. Eric, are you on the line? I am on the line. I was wondering why you refused to answer my call, and I was about to get huffy until I, <laughs> until I heard the issues. But yeah, it looks like it's up. I, I'm, uh, I wasn't even able to get a, a click to listen uh, button, but now that just came up. Okay. So that's a good sign, I would think. It looks like the site is back. We still don't have audio samples, and I still have, as the only caller on the switchboard, you. But let me hit a quick little refresh here. Well, still only you. And in fact, uh, let's see here. Eric, are you still there? Yes, I am. That's interesting, because you're listed on the switchboard twice, but apparently there's only actually one of you. Let me hang up the other one. I, I hung up and called back. Gotcha. Maybe it didn't cut me off here. Well, so the exciting thing is that we have access to the switchboard, so if we do, in fact, get a call now from uh, Michael Timmons of the Cowboy Junkies, then uh, we should have a chance to bring him on the line. Uh, but for now, actually, I guess it's you and me, Eric. How have well, you been this week? Ah, uh, well, it's been uh, it's been a good week. We've got a lot going on here. We're uh, working really hard behind the scenes, of course. With blog critics, we're trying to really move things to the next level, so we have some pretty pretty big-time business things that we're working on and trying to get resolved. We made some, uh, well, you made some technical changes that have really, really yielded some very positive results. We're excited about that. Uh, there was some debate, uh, you know, as there always is with changes, but we finally went to a pagination format where previously all stories, regardless of length, it could be you know 2,500, 3,000 words long, were only one page long. Now we have uh, each story split up, and that has yielded really uh, quite a few benefits. I didn't even, I hadn't even thought about the bandwidth aspect of it, but um, it's uh, it, it seems to really have helped with our page views, which is kind of one of the benchmarks that's most important to sites and and how uh, how we get by and how we get how we get paid uh, in order to keep rolling along. And sure. at the same time, of course, it, it increases the the uh, number of pages that are available on the site because many stories were broken up. Why don't you tell us real quickly how how that worked? Where are the, where are the pages? Uh, is it it's by words? I know it ended up being a lot more complicated than it, it appears at first. Why don't you give us a quick rundown on that while we're waiting for Michael. I imagine sure. he got caught. He probably called you know right around when I did. At nine, and nothing happened, so he uh, became confused, uh, no doubt. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I'll see if I can do anything to track Actually, him down. It looks like we do, in fact, have a caller. And, oh, excellent. Uh, I, I, I intended to introduce this segment of the show with a bit of an audio clip from Trinity Revisited, uh, but unfortunately that isn't an option for me right now. So I will just say that it was uh, November 27, 1987, when Toronto's Church of the Holy Trinity served as the recording studio for the Cowboy Junkies. Uh, now they've returned to Trinity Church and brought a few guests along for the 20th anniversary of the Trinity Session, and the result is a new album, Trinity Revisited. Uh, if things go well, we'll hear from a couple of tracks later in the show, but for now, let's welcome Michael Timmons of the Cowboy Junkies. Welcome. Hey, how you doing? Great. How are you, Michael? Big fan all along. I have my vinyl copy of the Trinity Sessions. And oh, great. Got it at the time, so it's very exciting. Yeah. What What brought about the uh, the decision to to literally revisit the the project? For I suppose at this point you're still perhaps best known. I'm not sure. I was going through my collection actually, and I have I have. Six Cowboy Junkie albums. Oh, good so for you. I, I'm a I'm a fan, I guess, huh? And uh, no, I like them all, and I think you guys have really progressed quite a bit, uh, songwriting and and evolved more than people I think perhaps realize you have. But anyway, uh, yeah, sure. what brought on the the uh, the 20th anniversary revisit? Well, I guess we were looking for something to do um, to celebrate our 20th um, anniversary as a band, and uh, you know, a bunch of ideas 
floated around, one of which was to um, uh, you know, put out a book, which we actually did with, with an artist uh, friend who includes his paintings. He paints to our music and you know, it's that sort of thing. So the coffee table book. Um, and beyond that, we had a uh, an opportunity that came our way to um, to do a DVD with uh, a company out of Montreal. Um, they weren't necessarily, <clears throat> or we weren't necessarily thinking of uh, tr- going back to Trinity Church, but um, just to do a performance uh, a performance DVD. But they actually suggested it, and we thought uh, wasn't a bad idea. We were a little nervous about it just because it's always kind of weird to go back and, you know, try to recreate um, something that you've done a long time ago. So um, I guess we went in with the idea that we weren't going to try to do that. We're just going to try to go in and and do our take on it, basically cover ourselves, you know, (laughs) of of what we did that long ago, and also bring in some guests to make it um, more interesting and a little different as well. So, so that you know, it sort of came came about through the process of thinking with uh, these people involved for a few months, and then finally came together. Well, our technical issues are being resolved, and so I, I do actually have access to some samples from the album now. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's about uh, 30 some odd seconds of Misguided Angel from Trinity Revisited. Well, there was going to be. But <laughs> let's try one more time. I can hum it for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned guests, and I know on that song, I believe uh, Natalie Merchant is doing some of the the singing, and that was a, a treat. Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, she's got a, obviously a great voice, and she blended really well with the band. We thought, and so we used her on, on a few tracks. And um, yeah, I think um, I don't, I'm not sure if Ryan Adams is singing on that one or not. He might be doing background as well, but uh, he he sings on on a couple of songs along with Vic Chestnut. It's a little muddled for me right now. Who did what, when exactly? But uh, Natalie was definitely the the highlight vocalist uh, with Margot on this one. Yeah, they do. I agree. They sound real good together. Some really nice harmonies. They sound very natural. Almost like she's in the family. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it is. You are all three siblings, right? The three yep. Timminses. Three of us and our bass player Alan Anton. And it's been I've the same known. band all along, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Uh, are you guys from Montreal? I'm from Canada. Is it Montreal? Yeah, Montreal, which is in Canada. <laughs> yeah, right. I knew, <laughs> a lot I knew of that. people don't know that, but uh, yeah, we we but we moved to Toronto. I guess when we were in our late teens, so we've been based in Toronto ever since. Well, that's yeah. That's where my confusion came in. Yeah. Cause I knew there was a Toronto connection there. Yeah. And uh, so, how did it feel revisiting all this? I mean, internally, how how I mean, it sounds great, and it's it's a lot of fun to have the guest stars yeah. on there. Yeah, well, the thing, uh, but how did it feel going back to um, to your roots, as it were? Well, it was actually great because uh, none of us had actually set foot in the building since then, because um, I guess we have no reason to go back. But um, so when we set up and, and started playing, we we had forgotten how great the room sounds. So as soon as we played our first few notes, we all went, "Wow, this sounds so good!" And so it's, uh, just a real pleasure to be in the space and playing again, just for the the ambient sound of it. And um, I got to say that for there must have been like 70 people on the on the film shoot crew with all their gear and stuff, and we were worried that they'd be you know in our way and not letting us play songs all the way through and that sort of thing. But that didn't happen at all. It's like they weren't there, and we just played through our songs, and it was a really really nice day again. Well, quite a different experience from your first time there, then. Yeah, there's a lot more people. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you end up there in the first place? I, I know that it has uh, great sound qualities. And yeah, that, we that had. Was why we worked with um, there's a producer in Toronto whose name is Peter Moore, and he actually did our first um, album with us um, called What's Off Earth Now, which we recorded in our garage with the same single microphone. I'm looking at that one right now. Yeah, that Peter owned, and um, so we were looking for doing. The second album, we were looking for a different space, but with the same microphone. And he suggested the church because he had recorded some stuff in there, some choir stuff. And uh, he just said that you know it's a fantastic sounding room with all this great natural ambient uh, sound. So we you know we, we sort of went in there not really thinking that we're going to come out with our finished record by the end of the day. We're just sort of going into in there to experiment, to see if we can get a good sound. And it took about half the day of moving the instruments around because you have to physically move you know, the drums in and out if you want them louder or softer, you know, because you've just got this one microphone that you're set up around. So that took forever, like half the day, and then we finally found the sound we, were, we, we thought was nice, <clears throat> and then 
Biscuit played all the songs through, and some of them are just single takes on the finished record. And I didn't really know what we, what we had until the next morning when we started listening to the tape and uh, realized that it just, you know, it's a really fantastic sounding thing. So you literally only used one microphone for the whole literally, record? Literally, yeah, one microphone. It's a very special, expensive microphone, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a single, it's a single mic. That is amazing. I mean, yeah. who does that? Even 20 years ago, who did that? Yeah, I don't know. It's a, and it's a relatively, uh, it was a relatively recent technology then. He, he was one of the first ones in Canada, Canada to own one. So, you know, it wasn't a, a known thing. So we're just lucky to, to meet him. And is it mono? Was it all recorded in mono? No, no. It's, um, I wish I could remember what it's called. It's, kind of, it's got a, a stereo or sound field, I think it's called. Calrex sound field microphone. Huh. But it's actually got like four, the way he describes it, four microphones inside the capsule, and it picks up sound from all around and creates a stereo image. Oh. So when you when you place your instruments around it, that's where it ends up sounding. You know, like so you're physically moving everything where you want it to end up in your head and in the space. You know, when you're listening to it. So it's a yeah, it's a weird weird kind of thing, but it works. how interesting. Yeah. I. I hadn't heard that about it. You know, one of the things that's that's so enduring about the original is is there really is a sense of reverence to it. And mm-hmm. it just occurred to me when you were talking about the church. I mean, I knew it in my brain that it, that it was recorded in the church, but it just now occurred to me, you know, duh. But do you think that any of that sense of reverence that comes through in the playing and the singing had anything to do with the environment? Well, a little bit, because uh, it was actually uh, it was a working church that day, because the church had a policy of not um, renting out the church and closing it off to their, you know, their people, anybody who wanted to come in. So um, people were walking in and out all day, and we had to stop sometimes, you know, to let until they left, because you'd hear these footsteps get closer and closer, and you know. So um, there there was a sense of like we were in somebody else's house, and we weren't, you know. It wasn't ours for the day, really. We just rented rented it to be there, along with all these other people who wanted to walk in and be there. So there was that, you know. We sort of felt um, we're trespassing a little bit. So um, yeah, there was a, a, a real feeling of of I guess humbleness, you know, in the in in the um, in, in the environment, and especially when people come in and uh, you know kneel down and cross themselves. <laughs> Do their spiritual thing in your yeah. presence. <laughs> That's right. You're standing there holding your guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how interesting! It's it is an amazing. Uh, the whole story is 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 so interesting. Yeah. It, it, and it, does it surprise you at all how well that album has held up, and the fact that it has become such a standard? Well, yeah, of course, because like I said, you know, we just went in in there and literally flew through it, playing wise, and um, and uh, came away with something that we never expected. So, you know, another was, thing. I think people, excuse me, I'm sorry, yeah, that, okay. that people forget is how really unusual your sound was at the time. Yeah. Very quiet, but intense. Yeah. You know, it's not slack. Yeah. Very intense, but quiet. And you were combining, you know, what are seemingly disparate styles. It, you kind of had a, you know, in a sense, a, a kind of a modern rock sensibility, and yet musically you were... You were drawing from classic country, yeah. you did Sweet Jane, and you did it actually much closer to the original version, I think, than most people realize. Yeah. That wasn't that far off, really. Yeah. You slowed it down a little and, and chilled it out. And then, and then your, um, your great originals on there. How, how did that whole sound, and, and I imagine that relates to the name of the band, too. How did, all that, how did you piece that all together? Because well, I think it was um, partly because uh, Alan and I um, had couple of other bands and they're mostly like punk bands in the early 80s and so we had you know we had um uh, we'd basically grown up playing our instruments during the punk days the late 70s so that was what we were listening to and you know even then our favorite band was joy division which was this weird you know quiet slow band in the midst of all this you know dark energy and that's what we got really drawn to that you know that vibe and we were also always huge Velvet Underground fans, and you know Leonard Cohen or The Doors. And we we're also attracted to you know darker, slower stuff, I guess. So um, when and we, we were actually living in in London, England, doing that. And when we came back here to Canada, um, we we sort sort of fallen in love with um, American roots music, and just started listening to that, you know, old old country and 
and blues and everything. And so basically, it was a conceptual. The conceptual idea for the Cowboy Junkies was to apply um, our, you know, our our um, interest in shaking things up through the punk aesthetic, like doing something different, but with these old songs. So, you know, it, we actually talked about it in words and wondered, can we do this? You know, what would it sound like? And when we sat down to do it, that's what it sounded like, amazingly. So we thought, okay, that was a cool idea. <laughs> Let's do that. Now, was, yeah. was Margot already involved? Was she, was she playing with you guys in London? Not right from the beginning, because we, you know, we wanted to see what the music would sound like first. And um, then when we realized, you know, we need to find a singer to check this, to see what it's really going to sound like, um, you know, I said to, uh, or Al said to me, um, what do you think we should do? Uh, where should we look for a singer? And I, I just sort of almost reluctantly said, well, you know, my sister sings really well. <laughs> you know, it's just a weird thing to kind of... Yeah, it's like kissing your sister. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but then I said to him, remember when we saw her in, in that play, that in that musical that she sang in in grade seven, you know, which I, which I, which she did. And um, we both agreed that, yeah, she had a great... So why don't we see what she's doing and see if she's interested. And she was interested, but she was very, very shy about it. And didn't, you know, never sung in public outside of that sort of thing. And... Um, she wouldn't actually sing in front of Pete and Al until we'd worked up a couple of songs. And um, so she was very slow getting into it. But uh, we, we sort of knew from the beginning her voice was just going to fit perfectly. And, uh, you know, so and it kept it in the family once again, so it was nice. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how it's worked out. I, 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 it's hard to believe that you didn't have her voice in mind uh, in putting the arrangements together because it is so perfect, so smoky. Yeah. And yet, you know, her voice, but it's never thin. It's never yeah. a thin voice. Um, you know, like a lot of the, the lighter singers, the people who have made their way into the space that you guys are pretty well created. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of them have thin voices. And they're they're pretty and light, but thin, whereas hers is never that way. And, uh, yeah, I mean, she's a great singer. I love her singing, including on your more up-tempo stuff that, that you got into later on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the 90s, I guess, in particular. Yeah. And uh, by the way, we want to let everyone know that uh, that this the, this new release, uh, as uh, I, don't, I think we mentioned it sufficiently enough, it is both a CD and a DVD. Yeah. And it is called Trinity Revisited. And I'm actually looking at, while we're talking, a video on your site. So we encourage everyone to go check out cowboyjunkies.com. And you can see some really nice footage from the DVD right there on the site. I am looking at it as we speak. There, there are Margot and Natalie uh, sitting near each other and uh, and, and dueling. And uh, yeah, it's a great site. Lots of information. Are you guys going to be playing anywhere? Yeah, we're actually playing um, this Saturday in, in Toronto at Massey Hall, and we're we're actually doing this uh, Trinity Revisited thing. And Ryan Adams is coming up to play with us for that. So we're going to play the album all the way through and then take a break and then play some other songs. Very nice. I, I do have audio clips that sound like uh, working. You may have heard just a hint of that in the background there. So uh, here at last is a little clip from Misguided Angel off of Trinity Revisited. And that was Misguided Angel with uh, guest vocalist Natalie Merchant there. Beautiful stuff. Hey, I, I haven't mentioned how much I like your guitar style. It's really um, um, a combination of I hear I hear surf and and, uh, and rockabilly influences, and um, uh, obviously the, the more folky and, and rootsy aspects. How did that style come together? Um, probably from not knowing how to play guitar and <laughs> wanting to be in a band and just making it up. <laughs> That's really how it came about, you know, and I just sort of um, figured out what I was capable of playing, what kind of 
you know, how fast my fingers could move and what chords do I like and things like that. Um, so, you know, I've never really called myself a musician because I'm I'm not I'm not very musicianly, but I just sort of develop my own style just by doing it, you know. I love it. I love the way you punctuate, um, you know, very tastefully and very musically and, um, you know, certainly the opposite, I suppose, of the, you know, super flashy, speedy, uh, Van Halen-y type yeah. style, but it's really tasteful and, and I, I think it really fits and, and drives and underpins the music extremely well. And again, that it's quiet often or, or, or usually even, mm-hmm. but, but intense. You know, it's never slack, and I think I think that's I think it's that combination because it sounds so contradictory mm-hmm. that you you've been able you the band have been able to put together all this time that I think really makes you stand out because I mean that's pretty hard to do to be both quiet or or, or light uh, but intense at the same yeah. time. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, does that make does that description make sense to you? Yeah, it does absolutely. Yeah, I mean that that's actually what we strive for. And, you know, I should also mention another reason that that came about was because when we first got together and started playing, um, we had a, a garage in the back of the house, and um, it wasn't very well insulated, and the neighbors would complain when we first started playing. So we we just started to play quieter and quieter, <laughs> and that was really a practical uh, issue for us. Necessity being the yeah. mother of invention. Exactly. How cool! Wow, it's, well, it's really exciting, and I congratulate you on the twenty. Well, it's got to be more than twenty years together, if if you. Uh, it is more than twenty together, yeah. Um, yeah. It's probably more like twenty-two now. Yeah. But it's really the twentieth anniversary of the Trinity session coming up. Well, time. it's it's such a milestone, and um, I I just picked it up again, actually on CD. I I hadn't realized I only had it on vinyl. And I picked it up again, just completely independently of of any of this. Um, I, I just you know saw it on CD and picked it up and listened to it again all the way through. It was interesting how it was different for me. The experience was different because I was so used to having the to flip the vinyl and and thinking mm-hmm. of it in terms of sides. And yeah. when you go to the CD experience, of course, it's straight through. Yeah. And and it was different. I noticed. I mean, it was actually a different experience to not have that break. But man, when I when I did listen to it again, it just it brought back, you know, all the memories, and I think it's it's held up extremely well. It, it's it's kind of a perfect combination of of originals and covers, and uh, again, bringing together those disparate elements. How did the name come about? I think I've heard the story, but I may not remember it quite well, correctly. Well, we were coming up to do our first gig, and um, you know, at this tiny club with eight of our closest friends attending, probably we figured so. We we needed a name because you need a name to get a gig. And so we just started throwing words around, really, one night, a few days before the show. And uh, really, those two words just came out together. You know, somebody said cowboy, somebody said junkies. And it somehow seemed to fit, you know. And, and, it, wow. had, and it had sort of a punk edge to it, which we kind of liked, even though it made no sense for the music. <laughs> <laughs> um, but us being old punkers, I guess, you know, that we liked that. Uh, you know, it really, it was. We needed something catchy on the street when you put up your little posters on the telephone poles. You know, trying to get people to your show. You need a little catchy name. You know, we could have been called the Timmins Family, but I don't think people would have noticed that. You know, as much as Cowboy Junkies. Well, let's listen to another sample from the new album. This is. Uh, it might be the confusingly named for people who aren't familiar with the Cowboy Junkies, but this is Blue Moon Revisited from Trinity Revisited, but in fact it was called Blue Moon Revisited on the original Trinity session because this is your original song based on Blue Moon. Yeah, it's half written by Elvis and the other half by me. (laughs) There you go. So here's a a little bit, about a minute or so of that song.
And that was Blue Moon Revisited from Trinity Revisited from the Cowboys Junkies. So what lies ahead for you guys? I, I hear you have families now of your own, and um, you're fairly rooted. And that's one of the reasons Margaret couldn't come on is she's got little kids. Yeah. And um, so how has that cut into things? Well, it, you know, it definitely does take up time um, and energy. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're able to work around all our schedules to still do what we love to do, which is to make music and, and tour. You know, we're not we're not touring as much as we used to do, for sure. But uh, we still get out there and do maybe 100 shows a year. So. Oh, that's quite a few. Yeah. That's, that's not nothing. No, it's not. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, we should mention one more time on cowboyjunkies.com slash tour dates. Uh, you can pick up the tour. It looks like they're going to be... Uh, through uh, after the Toronto date you mentioned on the 23rd in March, later March, it looks like you're going to be uh, cruising around the Midwest of the U.S. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, there's Columbus. Ah, um, that's fairly near. I'm in the Cleveland area. Right. It's a, a little. It's you know 120 miles or so here, and I have similar issues. I have four kids. <laughs> wow. So I know how all that goes. It's hard to get away and do much, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd love to see. I, I, I saw you once in the, probably the mid-90s, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Would love to see the band again. How did you uh, pick the, your guest stars on, on the Revisited? How did that come together? Well, our, our, our criteria was um, this: we sort of wanted them to be contemporaries of ours, but at the same time, um, it, the idea was that it would be nice if they were influenced by the Trinity Session in some way. Um, and we a bunch of names came up through, um, you know, just sitting around and talking about it. And our manager mentioned a few, and um, so we got a short list together. And, and Natalie and Ryan were the first ones to say yes. And um, then Vic came. Vic was on the list, and you know he said yes, and you know that was sort of enough. So we didn't pursue any more after that. Yeah, it was already crowded in that place, huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, it's really a success, um, the, the project itself, and, and obviously you guys as an entity and at 20-plus years, and uh, I want to offer heartiest congratulations on having created such a, you know, iconic work of art. I mean, it really is amazing how well it's stood up and how influential it is, and, and I think a lot of people, you know, who are, who are probably not as old as I am, for example, just may not know that... Uh, how how unusual that was at the time. I mean, yeah. it was really startling to hear that music. And the fact that you were played on modern rock stations was just unheard of. Yeah, you know? we were surprised by that. I mean, it just came out of nowhere. So, uh, I mean, you really deserve an awful lot of credit for, uh, you know, essentially creating a, a new style, piecing together something really unique and original, mm-hmm. and that's held up that well and been exceptionally influential so we really appreciate your coming on thanks for sticking with us through the technical issues at the beginning i'm certainly glad we got those resolved and able to uh hook up with you and uh and get some of the music on but good luck with everything and uh really hope uh, another 20 years of success for you yeah maybe we'll be back on your show yeah, well, you can even come back sooner than 20 years (laughs) absolutely all right anytime all right. Thanks very much, Michael. Really appreciate it, and uh, we hope to talk to you soon. All right. Thanks a lot. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And as we're closing out this segment of the show, here is another clip from the CD-DVD two-disc Trinity Revisited package available from Amazon.com and also uh, now linked from the show description here at uh, blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. Here's a sample of Sweet Jane.
Yeah, that was the one that really drew me in, actually. I'm, I'm glad you picked that one because I knew the song, you know, Sweet Jane, from both from the Velvets and then, uh, of course, uh, Lou Reed redid it himself with a much harder version. It was on the live albums that, that really helped him become popular as a solo artist. And then Mata Hoople did it, too. So I was I was familiar with the song, and, but it was it was really startling to hear such a quiet but intense version and that's really the song that brought me into that album and uh, boy I, I loved it I played it over and over and over again hard to believe it's been 20 years <laughs> well let's shift gears a little bit I've got another track coming up that we'll talk about just after that here comes a, a song called Through the Window of a Train a different story down every line people working Blue Highway is one of the most influential groups in contemporary bluegrass, and all five members writing and recording songs that are often re-recorded by other bluegrass artists. We've just heard a bit from the title track from their, I believe, eighth album, Through the Window of a Train, which was just released one week ago. And now we'll speak to lead singer and bass player Wayne Taylor. Welcome to BC Radio Live, Wayne. Oh, it's nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I know you missed the very beginning of the show. We, uh, we, we had some technical glitches as well, and so I'll just introduce myself. I'm Philip Wynn, and uh, uh, we also have my co-host, uh, Eric Olson. Hi, Wayne. Hey, Eric, Philip. It's really nice to talk with you guys. Well, we're really happy to have you. I, uh, I've been a fan. I'm, I'm, I'm not a you know core bluegrass guy. I'm just kind of a more general music fan and uh, across the board but I love bluegrass and especially the 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 more contemporary style that you guys work in blending the best of the old best of the new and uh, I went back and checked in my collection and when when I saw we were talking with you guys and I hadn't realized I had two CDs I had two earlier CDs plus now this new one so you guys have been I've been listening to you guys for quite a while. I kind of had, had kind of forgotten about it, but yeah, you're you're like a, a bluegrass supergroup, aren't you? What, can you tell us a little bit where where you guys all came from before you got together? What in the mid '90s, early '90s? Yeah, actually, it was mid '90s, um, and yeah, I'm, you know, people have used that uh, kind of stuck that label on us, and I don't know exactly what that means as far as bluegrass goes, but you know, it's an honor to be thought of in that respect, I suppose. But yeah, we actually actually uh, been together since uh, uh, early 1995. We're starting our 14th year uh, of touring together, and that's uh, like an eternity for a bluegrass band. They uh, usually don't have that kind of longevity, so, uh, you know, I attribute that to us being able to to work through things, and, you know, we're all good friends, and uh, we definitely don't agree on everything, but we're able to work through things, and and do what's best for the band. And, you know, as far as a short history of the band, some of the guys um, have definitely been uh, in this music for a long time and uh, worked with some really recognizable names. Uh, probably the most recognizable would be uh, Allison Krauss. Our guitar player, Tim Stafford, was, uh, was a member of Union Station for a couple of years. And uh, our mandolin player, uh, Sean Lane, worked with Doyle Lawson and Quicksilver and Ricky Skaggs and Kentucky Thunder for quite some time. Our dobro player, Rob Ikes, who hails from the home of bluegrass music, as we like to say, San Francisco, California, <laughs> <laughs> worked with, uh, my gosh, he's worked with everybody. He's one of the most sought-after session players in Nashville when it comes to dobro. And uh, just uh, back in October, won his ninth IBMA uh, Dobro Player of the Year award. And uh, wow. so now that gives him a record. He's won that award more than anyone, and we're we're very very proud of him. Uh, Jason Burleson, uh, our banjo player, hails from Newland, North Carolina, over in the the mountains of Avery County, North Carolina, which North Carolina is renowned for producing great banjo players. And he and I kind of were uh, local and regional musicians. Uh, you know, we were all friends. And I don't know, this thing came together uh, originally. It was just going to be a part-time thing, you know, just a bunch of guys that wanted to get together and play some good music. And uh, 
boy, after our first record, one album of the year in uh, 96, it kind of all got out of hand. So, <laughs> But in a good way. Yeah, there's, there's worse ways for things to get out of hand. Absolutely, yeah. I think it seems like maybe you came along uh, at the right time, too. I think there was uh, renewed interest in bluegrass and maybe a little more openness to some of the changes you brought to it. You guys have a, a little more contemporary feel. I'm thinking in particular, I was, I was just going over the album, of course, just before uh, you came on, and um, uh, your song, uh, which really stood out before I knew it was your song even, uh, Homeless Man, boy, that really... That hits home, and that's no, uh, you know, there's nothing trite or uh, repetitive about that. It's really uh, quite an emotional tale. You want to tell us how that came about? Sure. Uh, We've been fortunate enough. Our last two records, our Wondrous Love album, which was an all-gospel record, and our uh, Marbletown album were both nominated for Grammys. And, you know, that was a a big honor for us, and we got to go to Los Angeles and be a part of that whole thing. you know, it's a little bit overwhelming at times, but it's a, it's a great thing to get to do and a, a huge honor for any musician to get to be a part of that. But uh, the last time we were in L.A., my wife and I were staying uh, out on the beach, out near, uh, well, we were actually staying in Santa Monica. We could look at our uh, hotel room window and see the Santa Monica Pier. That's such a beautiful city and such a wealthy city, and I kept seeing all these homeless folks out there, and it kind of struck a struck a chord with me. Uh, I know the climate in Southern California probably really lends itself, you know, if if you have to be homeless, and I, I don't know if that's the correct way to put that, but if that uh, is the hand that you're dealt, then, you know, uh, the Southern California atmosphere is probably a little better than like being in New York City or something, you know, especially this time of the year. But uh, anyhow, we were... Uh, we were out there, and I kept seeing these folks, and, and I kept thinking, you know, it's really, I mean, we live in the greatest country on earth, and it's, it's, we go out of our way so many times to go to other countries and help, uh, help those who are in need, and so many of our homeless in this country are, are veterans, and they've given so much to us and so much, uh, you know, for the freedoms that we enjoy and, you know, it just seems like sometimes maybe we ought to make a little more of an effort to give a little more to them. And, you know, you get ideas like that. And as a songwriter, uh, you know, a lot of times the things that you write and the things that you get floating around in your mind have to come out. And they might be commercial, they might not. And this definitely was a song that came from the heart. And when I did it for the guys in the band, they're like, man, that is, you know, we we really get the meaning from that. And... uh you know, that's what you look for, and you want to stir emotions. I've had a few people come after a live performance of that song and say, you know, I was I was moved to tears by that. And, boy, as a songwriter, you, that's what you want to do. You want to conjure up some emotion, whether it's happiness, sadness, whether it makes somebody mad, whatever it does, as long as it doesn't leave them emotionless. And, you know, hopefully that song, uh, that song achieves that. I'd like to think so, anyhow. Yeah, it really does because it's it's not sentimental. Um, you're not really blaming anyone. No, uh, you're describing a situation and and um, uh, you're not uh, sugarcoating it. And yeah, I mean, it really does. It hits home. It's it's very much. It feels like it's in the singer songwriter tradition as opposed to maybe the the straight bluegrass tradition. Have you have you had have you had resistance to that to putting that combination together? You know, we have been extremely fortunate. Um, one thing that I always tell folks, and a lot of times, you know, someone will ask, well, you know, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a professional musician. Well, what kind of music do you play? I play bluegrass. And they're like, oh, well, you know, that's great, but we're not really big bluegrass fans. And I'm like, you know, that's fine. God knows if everyone enjoyed the same things, you know, it, it might be a pretty boring world. So it's fine if you're not a bluegrass fan. But also, if you haven't listened to bluegrass in a while, it might be worth giving it a listen simply because I like to say what we play is not your grandpa's bluegrass, and that's not a slam on that. We're, we uh, you know, respect first-generation bluegrassers. I uh, had the opportunity to get to know some of them, work with a lot of them. They, they're great people. But everything has to progress, and I think bluegrass is is doing the same thing. And we don't get much resistance from that. It seems like the bluegrass audience 
except for maybe just a few pockets around the country where they really, really like traditional bluegrass. They cling to the past. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and I also have a an answer that I've been giving to that problem. Well, I don't want to call it a problem, but to folks who who would say, well, you know, if, if it's not Bill Monroe or Jimmy Martin or something like that, it's not bluegrass. And I tell them, look, if Bill Monroe hadn't been doing something different, we wouldn't have anything called bluegrass. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, he just, uh, he was cutting edge. He was doing something that no one had ever done when he put the first bluegrass boys together. And uh, so, you know, everything progresses. And, you know, it's fine if you listen to Blue Highway and you don't care for what we're doing. But if you... Uh, judge it without listening to it, I guess, would be a good way to put it, then, you know, you might be missing some music that, that you might really, really like and really, uh, you know, see that it's not exactly what you thought, you know, the the picture that your mind had of what bluegrass is. Well, it certainly doesn't have an old-timey kind of feel, if that's what, you know, people are concerned about. It yeah. does feel very contemporary, uh, clearly rooted in the past. Obviously, you're using the the uh, the standard instruments more or less although well, it, it sounds kind of electric you know i mean you're 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 uh, it sounds like you often use an electric bass is that true well you know i actually play an electric upright bass uh in live shows i do that for the convenience of doing that i have uh, what i record with is actually an old m1k that was built in the late 30s just an old plywood k bass wow it has that really tight really aged sound that works so well with bluegrass and you know of course it's uh, a lot of the uh, the overall sound comes from the studios and engineers that we're we're privileged to get to use and uh, but no i record i always record with my old acoustic bass it just uh, it just sounds electric yeah and, and put in the situation you know really when you get down to it and i've only had a couple of people i've been playing uh an upright electric bass for about seven years now on the road. And I've gotten a couple of comments about it. Well, you know, you boys would sound better if you had a real bass, that <laughs> kind of thing. But when you get right down to it, and, and I try to emphasize this to people, by the time you amplify any acoustic instrument, whether it's just with a microphone or whatever you do, when you alter that signal to make it loud enough for an audience to hear, like at a festival or something like that, it's no longer really acoustic. The only way you're really hearing acoustic music is to stand around with no sound reinforcement whatsoever and listen to these instruments being played. So, you know, the argument that, well, it's not acoustic, so it's not good, that that doesn't quite uh, quite fit in anymore. But uh, no, we do. Uh, we really do record with all acoustic instruments. But yeah, I do. Uh, I do play an electric upright when we're on the road. Well, let's give people another chance to hear a little bit more of the album. This is a minute or so of "Life of a Traveling Man." Baby's face. A million songs running through my head. Daylight comes, I'll be gone again. Windows and highway never end. My shoulders bear such a heavy load. Hard to keep my thoughts all in a row. I can't slow down the life I chose. Somehow I love the way it goes. Time moves fast and the wheels turn slow. That was Life of a Traveling Man from the brand new Blue Highway album, Through the Window of a Train. I should also mention that Blue Highway's website is bluehighwayband.com. And it is a great, I'm just, I was just about to mention that, it's so funny, Philip, uh, the site, because, I mean, talk about cutting edge, it's a great site, you got all kinds of information on there, you got news, you got your schedule, you got bios, discography, sound clips reviews, pictures, merchandise, lyrics, and, of course, your uh, your schedule. I'm looking at it right now. You guys have a pretty full schedule. We do have a, a very full schedule. As a matter of fact, I just got back from a trip, a uh, five-day road trip, uh, 
up into New England. We played in uh, right above uh, Philadelphia on uh, Saturday night and went on to Framingham, Massachusetts, played on Sunday, and then came back to New York City and did, uh, of course, uh, some press for the new record while we were in town and then did uh, Joe's Pub last night, which was just great. I mean, it turned out, you know, just uh, the audience was really, really into it and, uh, you know, called us back for two encores, which is a huge compliment. I think would have liked to have had another, but uh, <laughs> but by that time and the fact that we had to leave Manhattan and drive to Philadelphia to catch a flight this morning, it was about time for the show to end. Oh, my. But, yeah, people don't realize New York is really a... a it's at every kind of music town. It's certainly a bluegrass town, you know, and it's a country music town. It's 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 everything. They love music there, and uh, um, it, it makes perfect sense that you would get that kind of reception. Hey, why don't you tell us a little bit about the recording process? I guess you guys were all holed up in. Uh, now, is this your hometown? <laughs> no, this is actually it's it's the closest to my hometown that we've ever recorded. Let's. Let's put it that way. Big Stone uh, Gap? Big Stone Gap. Big Stone Gap, Virginia. It's right down in the heart of the coal fields. And up until this record, we had done every other record that Blue Highway had done, which is seven other records together as a band. We'd done them all in Nashville. And uh, we love Nashville, you know, the cutting-edge technology down there that we were able to use. And uh, and it it was a lot of fun to do that. But we always try on each record to to do something a little bit different, not necessarily play our music any different, but either move to a different studio or use a different producer or something that's going to add another dimension to that record so they don't start sounding like, you know, these Pringles records where everything sounds exactly the same record (laughs) to record. And uh, in Big Stone Gap, the reason we chose Maggard Sound Studio in Big Stone Gap those guys, Charlie and Alan Maggard, have been in business down there for around 40 years now, making records. And, uh, you know, Ralph Stanley has recorded down there. Uh, gosh, I can't even begin to tell you. Ralph has done the, the majority of his records probably over the last 20 years at Maggard Sound Studios. So, you know, it's it's a small home. To, I mean, it's like being in your living room, you know. And that atmosphere really lent itself to making a record that uh, that where we were able to go in, we kept a lot of live stuff, you know, didn't do a lot of overdubs and stuff like that. And the reason we were able to do that is because it was so comfortable working down there and working with a, a great engineer, a guy named Jim Price engineered this record. And, man, it was just one of those things that uh, it was a real good move for us because it's probably the most comfortable we have ever been in the studio. I think part of the reason is... Uh, there's like uh, this spirit trapped inside that building of some of the great music that's been made there, and it's just a, a really, really comfortable place to work. And You know, we just loved it and, and loved everything about doing the record down there. What do you think it is about the the mountains and the Appalachians, I guess, specifically, um, that that led to the the birth of bluegrass. I mean, what is it about that area? It seems to be a very it's mountain music. It is. It's uh it's mountain music and it's it's real music. And I think that holds true for a lot of different genres of roots music, you know. It comes it's people writing about their own life experiences a lot of times and uh you know, we all with the exception of Rob, of course, we all grew up in the mountains. Uh, basically around this part of the country, uh, Western North Carolina, uh, Tennessee, you know, the mountains of Virginia. And uh, it's just, it's something, you know, it's like a, a seam of coal that runs through a mountain. It, those those influences run through our veins. And uh, Ricky Skaggs, bless his heart, gave us one of the greatest compliments that you could ever give anybody uh, when he said that, uh, that Blue Highway was fresh but still old as the hills. And, you know, that that says a lot because that's what we want. I mean, the influences that we have are most definitely the first-generation bluegrassers, but we are also fortunate enough to... uh, We have five really good songwriters in this band, and that's something that we're blessed with because we're able to infuse bluegrass with new music. And I think, to me, that's probably the... The coolest thing about playing music is when, 
you know, you can do a Monroe song or you can do a Flat and Scruggs song, but bottom line is you're never going to do it better than they did, no matter how good a job you do with it. So when you can infuse new music into what you're doing, that, to me, keeps it alive, keeps it fresh, keeps things going. And, man, when, when the fans accept that, that uh, that really helps, I'm telling you. So we're we're really blessed in that aspect. But just coming from this part of the country and uh, the life and the honesty of the people in this part of the country really uh, really adds to that. When you start writing songs about mountain people and about things that go on, you know, kind of off the beaten path a little bit. Well, that was very well put, and I love the analogy about the coal. And that reminded me, as far as you know, uh, combining musical styles. Have you guys participated in the in the hardly strictly bluegrass thing in San Francisco? As a matter of fact, we did. Yeah, we've done that. Uh, we did it twice, I think. We haven't been out there for for the last three or four years. But yeah, the I think we did the first one that, uh, of course, Warren Hellman puts that thing on and just does a fantastic job with it. I mean, it's one of the most well-run things I've ever seen. And uh yeah, I think we did the first one and then skipped a year and did maybe the third one, and we haven't been back out since then. But, man, it's just, you know, it's it's one of the uh, premier festivals in the country and, you know, open to the public. Uh, and so you get these great crowds of people that are there, maybe not necessarily to see bluegrass music, but just there to see music and are very, very accepting of whatever you play. You know? Yeah, so, it draws from all elements of roots music. Exactly. Yeah. We covered it. We we interviewed the executive producer because this year they they actually made a documentary uh, for uh, the the San Francisco PBS station and Austin City Limits uh-huh. together went in and and did a really great job of of documenting it this year. And you know we really saw a wide range of music: singer songwriter, the the Texas rootsy feel. Bluegrass, blues, acoustic blues, uh, and, and it really did seem to all go together very well. And it's a very, as you say, huge uh, and very accepting and enthusiastic audience. So I, I thought of you guys. I, I was pretty sure you'd probably participated at some point in time. Yeah. Well, we're we're running out of time, so I think we need to probably wrap things up. I do want to mention that Blue Highway's new album, Through the Window of a Train is available now. Uh, It features the two songs we've heard already, plus ten more, including Where Did the Morning Go, which uh, I'll play a quick sample of in just a moment. And uh, thank you very much for talking with us tonight, Wayne. Well, thank you so much for having us, and uh, and we really, really appreciate it. You know, uh, we could never be, uh, could never show the appreciation that we feel, because if it wasn't for you know, the people who spin these records and play these songs, nobody would know who Blue Highway is. So thank you guys so much for doing this. Well, we we appreciate it, too, because if we didn't have interesting people to talk to, we wouldn't have much to do either. You know, <laughs> kind of, you kind of saw that at the beginning of the show, and none of the, nothing was working technically, and we couldn't get the calls in and couldn't play the music. And we're just kind of, oh, yeah, talk amongst yourselves. So, yeah, I don't think people would stick with, uh, around for that too long if we didn't have no. cool, interesting, and talented people to come in and, and uh, talk with us. So thank you very much. And I really, really love the new record. And good luck uh, with touring and, and hope the record does really well. And we really appreciate your talking with us. Thank you so much. Farewell. again to Wayne Taylor of Blue Highway and to Michael Timmons of the Cowboy Junkies from earlier in the show. 
Uh, you'll find information on the new albums from both bands at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. Or you can visit the band website at cowboyjunkies.com and bluehighwayband.com. Also check out blogcritics.org slash bcradio to see the entire BC Radio Network schedule that we mentioned briefly at the beginning of the program. This has been BC Radio Live. We broadcast live every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. So be sure to visit us live to participate in the chat room and watch the live video feed. Uh, If you missed the live broadcast, audio archives are available online, or you can subscribe to the podcast to have BC Radio Live delivered to you each and every week. Until next week, aloha. Aloha.